So I'm going to pray. Father, I want to thank you for the love that you have for your church. Thank you that we get to gather in your name. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for community. Thank you for people. As much as we are challenging to one another, we can't live without each other. I pray that uh, you would even start to bring to mind those people that uh, we would invite here on that day, back to church Sunday. Lord, as we look into your word, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. (laughs) All right, so last week, kind of a heavy topic, talked about demons. It's always heavy in church when you talk about demons. We looked in Mark chapter 9, and and we looked at uh, this kind, Jesus described as this kind. There's a spiritual battle that wages on within the church, within the believer's life. There is power in the spiritual realm. And there's power in the evil of that spiritual realm. And Jesus was speaking into that as the disciples were trying to cast out this demon and they couldn't do it. Jesus tells them that this kind only comes out by prayer. Telling them that you lack something, you lack a prowess, you lack a power to drive this out. Now, over the next few weeks, I can want to continue to press into this idea of church and who we are as a church, who the church is as a church, and maybe who we are not. The church is fighting a battle right now, or at least we should be. And, and, and that battle is to, to have a voice in our society. That battle is to be relevant in the lives of people with the gospel. That we would be relevant with hope and grace and mercy. You know, when Jesus showed up at a town, in a town, the people on the fringe were attracted to him. Sinners, they wanted to be around Jesus. They wanted to hear what he had to say. The people that the religious leaders did not want to be with, that that told them that you had to stay away. Those are the people that were attracted to Jesus. And so I think it's worthwhile question asking, why are people running from the church? We are supposed to be the image of Christ. We are supposed to be the light of Christ. It's an important question to ask. You know, I'd like to say that these times that we're in right now, they're they're important times. They're they're, they're hard times. But the reality of it is, all of history, all of time is important to the Lord. And we have all struggled, humanity has struggled throughout time with ups and downs and, and brokenness. The voice of the church should always be a voice of invitation. The voice of the church should be an invitation to to grace and life and wholeness and mercy. But it also should be a voice of power and authority because we have the authority of the Holy Spirit within us. And we can stand against and firm. We can stand on the foundation that is Christ in authority and in power. People are leaving the church in droves. And so we need to really get real about that. And we need to get real about our own faith and how are we following God. 
There's a story in Genesis chapter 26 that I want to look at today. And and I say it with a little resolve because sometimes I feel like I'm stretching it a little bit. Sometimes I feel like I'm um, pushing the boundary of the uh, exegetical texts. It's a big word, huh? Makes me sound really smart. I'm not, so don't worry. But it's a story about Isaac. One of his stories. And in chapter 26 of Genesis, Isaac is in the throes of a famine. The the, the land is in the throes of a famine. And so he takes up residence with the Philistines. And by, by these divine acts of God and God's blessing upon his life, he becomes, while he's living in this territory, he becomes very, very wealthy. Verse 14 of Genesis 26 tells us that he has acquired flocks and herds and servants. That means this guy has got a lot of wealth. In fact, he becomes so wealthy that the Philistines get a little bit freaked out and they start to get jealous of him and they don't like him. So the king, King Abimelech, he said, listen, dude, man, you got to go. You're, you're, you're getting too powerful for us. You're freaking us out a little, bro. You need to leave. And so Isaac finds himself in a set of circumstances that he really has no control over. When the king says, you got to go, you got to go. And so he packs up the flocks, the herds, the servants, and his family, and he goes on the move. He, he, he does, and, and remember, he's not packing up the minivan And driving down Route 10, where you can stop off at a McDonald's and grab a bite to eat. He's in the desert. And he goes on the move. And I want to pick up on a couple verses of chapter 26, verse 17 and 18. So Isaac moved away from there, and he encamped in the valley of Nogatuck, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names as his father had given them. All right, so picture this. Herds, flocks, that means lots of animals. Servants, means lots of people. Family, Isaac leaves with all of this. He's got a posse, a caravan, whatever you want to call it. And he sets out and he gets to where he's going and he decides, well, we have to figure out what to do here. He finds himself in a very challenging place. He's been, he's been on the move and he's probably been feeding these animals, feeding his, his servants, feeding his family. But most important at this point in the journey, he needs to get them some water. He needs for his animals, for his people, for his family to drink. Living in the desert, traveling in the desert is not an easy life. So he, he gets to where he's going and he has, to take, he has to take action. He has to do something. Now, water is not a nice extra. Water is not like you, had spent, a, you spent a day walking in the desert and now you want a nice ice cream cone to cool yourself down. Water is a necessity for life. Our bodies are designed that we will only live about four days without water. And put yourself in the desert, things can go very bad very quickly. People can die. His people can die. His animals can die. His family can die. Isaac is in desperate need, not only for himself, but for everyone he is responsible to. The church today 
is in desperate need for life, for abundant life. We are in need of water. Let me push that a little farther. We are in need of living water. This is not about the church just making a couple tweaks here and there. It's not just about that. We, the situation we find ourselves in today is a serious situation. It's urgent. It could be life or death, not only maybe for the church, but for other people outside of the church. Life and death. The challenges we face today as church, capital C, go way beyond the superficial, way beyond what we like, what we don't like, style of music, color of the drapes, way beyond those superficial things. The, the, the battle that we are in is deeply ingrained in the spiritual realm and it's manifesting itself in our physical reality. Whew. I should write a book. <laughs> that was awesome. I'm glad we're recording this. I'll never be able to do that again. Anyway, I digress. So we are in Isaac's story. His story is our story. We are in need of life. We are in need of that, that vibrancy and, and, that, and that power that, that, that will allow us to impact our world, allow us to speak life into the world, allow us to have a say, have a voice in our world. We are in need of the life that only God can give us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. Water, living water. And yes, at times the church can make adjustments and tweaks and and, and things that could help us with the times and the historical time that we're in now to reach culture and reach this generation. But the church in general, capital C, we are in a battle, a spiritual battle for life. How can we invite people into living an abundant life with Jesus Christ if the church is not living an abundant life with Jesus Christ? How can we invite people into the power of the Holy Spirit when we walk weakened in our spirit? Isaac finds himself in need. He finds himself in need of water. And so what does he do? He reopens. He reopens the wells that his father dug. He doesn't look for a new place to dig. He doesn't devise a new plan with with maybe um, probabilities and possibilities. He doesn't go searching for anything new. He goes back to something that was already established. He goes back to the wells that were already dug, that already have been proven to give water. He goes back. He knew what he had to do had to be done. He knew what he had to do, and he knew that it had to be done quickly. He knew that this was a life or death situation. He decided, he decided to take action. Later on in the story, you'll see that, that, yes, he gets driven from there, and he's got to do some exploring. He's got to dig some new wells. He's got to figure stuff out. But right now, in his urgent time of need, he goes back, and he reopens something that was already established before him. Sometimes I think that the church is is foolish to think that we're just going to, we we can take our time and try to figure things out slowly and and try try some, some, uh, some possibilities, some probabilities. People who are in crisis and take their time about anything, trying to establish life, they're kind of foolish. Isaac looked to the past because he knew what was established in the past could bring him life in the present. Isaac decided to reopen those wells. I believe it's an interesting lesson for the church today. 
the re- very reason that this was a good idea on his part is, is why it's a good idea on our part, the church, to look back into our history, to go into our past. Our history, the church history, is deep and it's vibrant and it's sometimes troubled. But it has a lot to teach us if we will let it. It has a lot to offer us if we will let it. If we ignore the past... If we just say, you know, the past is the past, let's just, let's just move on to something new. Let's just forget about that. The problem is, if we think that way, we are in danger of possibly thinking that the condition or the posture, the situation that the church is in today is something brand new. And it's not new. This is not new. Many believe that the church today is facing all new problems and things are just uniquely bad for us right now. And we've never experienced things like this in the past. Some people believe that, that the church is slow to react or respond because we just don't know how with all of this new stuff coming at us. And it's just not true. God is the same He is the same yesterday, he is the same today, and he will be the same going on into the future. God is the same throughout eternity, forever. He's the same God of Abraham. He's the same God of Isaac. He's the same God of Oasis Church. He will be the same God of the church in 2215 if we make it that long. And in saying that, Humanity is also the same. I think we pressed into that a few weeks ago. The sameness of of people. Our character and our nature is the same. We, We make wars. And we can be violent. And there is darkness within our hearts. We crave power. We're selfish. And yet we love. And we create beautiful art. And we, and we, and we, we desire relationships and we have friendships. We all have fears and we all cry when we're sad and we all hurt when we experience loss. Nothing has really changed in the human condition, in human nature, in our character. Abraham had to find water on his journey. Isaac too needs to find water on his journey. Any difference between the ancient people and the people in 2015, any difference at all is really just superficial in the big picture of God's plan. It's all superficial. God remains the same. People remain the same. And the answer to the brokenness of this world remains the same. And that is Jesus Christ. So what does our history tell us? Church history. It's a fascinating study if you ever want to get geeked out and and read that stuff. Let me summarize for you. Wet your geek whistle a little bit. What church history tells us is the church has always ebbed and flowed. The church has always had its ups, had its downs. We've been on the mountaintop. We've been deep in the valley. That's that's the history of, of church. There were times in the church's history where it was filled with people and there was life and, and it was vibrant and, and, and people couldn't wait to gather. People couldn't wait to get together and pray. And it was almost like miracles were, were commonplace and the church had a voice. 
The church had a voice in culture. The church actually influenced society and culture. And the gospel was preached with authority. And the glory of the Lord was felt. And the power of the Holy Spirit was evidence. There were times in our history where that was church. There have been times of great awakenings within the people of God. Great awakenings that identified the church as something very different than it is today. But as you, if, you, if you study that history and you study that past, you will know that those times of awakenings were preceded by and actually later on followed by desert living for the church. The church was in need of life. There have been times where there's been absolutely no life within the Christian church. It's been just full of dead orthodoxy and dry theology. The church has always ebbed and flowed. It's always, it's always had its ups and downs. It's always been on the mountaintop sometimes. Sometimes it's in the valley. It's important for us to understand that this is nothing new. We find ourselves in not a new story, but a continuing story of what God is doing. And we need to learn from that. We need to learn that people of faith have experienced exactly what we are experiencing today. Throughout history. And so by engaging those things, we can learn some very important things from that. By engaging our past, we can find life. In fact, I want to tell you that every awakening, every revival of the church has always been the church looking back and returning to something. Returning to something. It returns to something that it had in the past. It didn't find something new. It didn't look for something new. It went, it went back. Dare I say it went back to the scripture, to what the church was originally set off to be in the book of Acts. It went back to simple. It went back to outward focused. It went back to, to living in community. And it went back to making God the priority. In everyday life. See, when the church comes back online, it always goes back to something. It rediscovers it. It it uncovers it. And it finds life once again there. That's our history. That's, that's, That's who we are. We are now today in need of water. Living water. Which is the life of the church because we know that living water is Jesus Christ himself. But, but here's something we have to understand that God has always dealt with us in whatever situation the church finds itself in. God is the same and he supplies what we need. But we as the church have to pursue it. We have to roll up our sleeves and pursue it. Isaac told the boys, let's go and reopen these wells that are already there. He came to realize that, that something is here. It's already been here. There's water in these wells, but we just can't easily get to it. Why? Because the Philistines, his enemy, has filled them in. This water wasn't just, just readily available to them. They were in need. They knew that they, they, these things once gave life. They knew they can still give life, but they had to reopen them because their enemy filled them up. 
Why is the church in the condition that the church is in today? Why are Christians in the condition that we are today? Why are we relying on some political agenda to change anything? Why do we lack power? Why do we lack a voice in our culture? Well, we have an enemy that is keeping us from the well of living water. He has tried to cover it up and he has successfully done it. And he has put these other possibilities in its place and the church has bought into it. We've decided that, yeah, that, that's, that's easier. That's, that's, that's better. And we have to understand this and know this and realize that we are fighting an enemy who wants to keep us from the well of life. That is Jesus Christ himself. And he will do everything and anything to do it. See, our problem is nothing new. In fact, our problem, our challenge, our brokenness is ancient. It goes all the way back to the beginning. It's not because we, in 2015, were just more distracted. We have, a, we have, we have big screen TVs with a thousand channels. And, and we have smartphones and computers and iPads and iPods. And, and, and we have the internet and we have Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram. We have all these things pulling at our attention. That's why we're not involved or engaged in the pursuit of the things of the Lord. But you know, all of that stuff is, is irrelevant to God. It's, it's superficial for the condition that we are in today. Before every great awakening, before every revival that the church has gone through, uh, no one wanted anything to do with God. The, the churches sat empty. No one cared. And back in the 1700s and back in the 1800s, there was no TV. There was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. There was no Twitter. There was, there was nothing like that. There was no internet. There were no smartphones how people ever got along without an iPhone, but I digress. But, but there wasn't any of that stuff. People are still the same. People will always be people. And even the church will always find something besides God to worship. Humanity is not short on excuses why they won't follow, we won't follow the ways of the Lord. Our enemy has been fighting against us since day one. And he's been filling in the wells of living water to keep us from seeing them and from, and from finding them. As the church, in order for us to move forward, in order for us to understand, in order for us, I think, I believe, to have a voice, well, like I said last week, we, we got to pray. We got to pray. <laughs> it's, there's no way around that. And we also have to remember the past. We have to remember our history, our roots. God wants us to remember I think in the NIV, over 18 times in the Old Testament, God told Israel, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He wants them to remember where they've come from and the experiences that they've had. Many of the Jewish festivals and, and, the, and the, um, the celebrations are about remembering, remembering what God has done, remembering, remembering how he brought you through this, how he delivered you from that. When we celebrate communion, the table up here, what did Jesus say in the scripture? Do this in what? In remembrance of me. God wants us to remember. He wants us to look at the past, to learn from it. And dare I say, even to return to some of those things, the simplicity of the church. 
We are part of today, this people in this building are part of a continuing unfolding God story that has been, that's been going for thousands and thousands of years. We are one people and we believe in one God, the father, the almighty, the creator of heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen. We are one people who believe that. We believe very distinct things about our God as they are revealed to us in in this book, in this sacred text. This is filled of revelation and it's also filled of remembrance. Remember, remember, remember. And people have wrestled with faith and how to live faith for as long as there's been a faith to wrestle with and try to live. And he calls us to remember. Our enemy has been filling the well since the beginning, trying to cover up that well of living water keeping us from it, keeping us from life, life that is, that is ours. When Solomon was dedicating the temple in Second Chronicles, the Lord appeared to him, it says in the text, and said this, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, what I find interesting about this text is It's God saying, when I do these things, when I shut up the heavens and there's no rain, when I command locusts to devour the land, or when I send a plague among my people, doesn't it feel like the church is in the desert in need of water and in need of life? Could it be God put us here for a reason? Doesn't it feel like we're under this this attack? We're feeling a little bit overrun right now and we're plagued. I would say that we're plagued by our own indifference to the things of the Lord. Our enemy has done a great job of filling in the well. He's done a great job of of distracting us. Don't go, no, no, don't reopen that. Go go look for something new. And we we have bought it hook, line, and sinker. But then here's what God says after this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Are we willing to humble ourselves? Realize that they're not the problem. The problem isn't here with me, with us, with the church. We are part of the problem. Will we, will we, are we humble enough to realize that we don't pray? Yeah, we'll throw things out there. Let me find a parking space. Uh, let me pay the bill. I mean, but I mean, seeking the Lord in prayer. We don't. I know what you're saying. Oh, I pray. Well, as a church, I'm not picking on an individual. I'm picking on us as a whole. Are we willing to seek the face of God? Are we willing to do the work to reopen the wells of living water that that have gone before us, that are there? Are we willing to turn from our indifference? Are we willing to take stock of who we are and who we are not? And are we willing to remember who we can be in Christ? Are we willing to... Are we willing to stop blaming non-Christian people for the condition of the church? Are we willing to repent of our wickedness? In In our own hearts, are we willing to repent of indifference? 
Are we willing to repent of our laziness? Are we willing to repent of our self-assurance? Are we willing to repent from our self-justifications? Are we willing to repent? Because if we are, if we will, look at the promise that the Lord has given us. If we will, he promises to forgive us. And to what? To heal our land. To heal. It's his promise. He wants his church to return. What I find interesting is that, that he, he causes these things to happen. I want to tell you something. Matthew 16-ish. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against this church. And every awakening that has taken place in the history of the church has always been God's grace and mercy being poured out to heal. Man, I want to be part of that healing. I want to be part of that movement. The movement of prayer, the movement of grace, the movement of mercy, the movement of God's love. Are we willing? Are we willing? Are we willing? Are we willing to do the work to undig the wells? Because that's where living water is. And that water is Jesus Christ himself. Are we willing to seek the face of God? Not just on Sunday, on every day. If God is just the God of Sunday, I'd rather not. I want the God of every day. I want the God of every moment. I want the God of every, every minute, every breath, every thought. That's the God I want. And, and I, I fall short in my pursuit of him. I fall short in, in my prayers to him. But man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to keep pressing in. Keep seeking his face. And I want to encourage you all to do the same. Because when we do, then healing comes. He's inviting us. If we're a church of invitation, then we have a God of invitation and he's inviting us. Are you going to answer the invitation? Father, we thank you that uh, you invite your church to become part of your healing. Now, Father, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Give us the strength to stand firm on Jesus Christ and open, reopen those wells of life. We praise you and we love you. Thank you for loving us back. Thank you for loving us first. Now may you empower your church to return to the Lord our God. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love you guys. I will see you next week.